0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the media buzz meter with Howard Kurtz. Not a lot of people in the office today. No traffic getting to work. I guess the holiday season has already begun for many folks here. You know, I listen to a lot of Amazon music, happens to be, you know, I put my playlists on there, a lot of people like Spotify, which is bigger, but what's fascinating about it is, which, you know, I consider myself a rock aficionado, is that when I hit songs from different groups or singers, you know, it will give you the lyrics on your phone, but then if you don't want to continue to the lyrics, it has these sort of items and tidbits about You know, anybody, Jackson Brown, Santana, anybody you like, modern uh, artists as well. By modern, I mean this century. Taylor Swift. And it's a lot of stuff that I never heard before about who broke up with which group in order to join this group, um, who got kicked out of the group. It's not all like that. Um, When a particular album or song caught fire, um, just little interesting details about the backgrounds of the artists and how they got together. Um, And it makes it fun to know this additional trivia, I guess you could call it. So that's one of the reasons I like it. And then you just listen to the music. You know, there have been, I noticed this starting a few weeks ago, a whole lot of buyouts at the Washington Post. It's a year-end thing. And the Post, which is losing money, um set a goal of 240 voluntary buyouts, and they give you a nice package. But if that goal wasn't reached, then obviously they're looking at the possibility of layoffs. Well, the goal was reached and more. And I was just watching, you know, one host writer after another, some, you know, well-known columnists some behind-the-scenes people whose names you wouldn't know, like the uh, editor, chief editor for all the investigations, saying goodbye, I love the post, it's been great, looking forward to new career, whatever. And so finally I put it together. These people were leaving. And there was an item in political playbook saying, you know, some people, when you get a notice saying you're eligible for a buyout, there's a sort of a hidden message there that We like you, but we wouldn't be sorry to see you go. And then if you don't take the buyout, you know, you face the possibility of losing your job without the additional money. Obviously, you're entitled to some severance. But um, it's just kind of sad. Uh, According to that playbook thing, the Metro staff has lost a quarter of its people. Metro staff has usually been the biggest staff at The Washington Post, and that's quite a deep cut. So a lot of talent going out the door and um, not that happy about it. All right. In France, President Emmanuel Macron this week condemned a manhunt. It's a deep crime story. A manhunt targeting Gerard de Pradeau. I like him. The embattled French actor whose worldwide fame says the New York Times has been tarnished by allegations of sexual harassment and assault. So the president of the country is weighing in about a guy who at his peak was one of the top and certainly most globally well-known actors in France. There was a documentary that showed him making crude, sexual and sexist comments during a trip a few years ago to North Korea. He's lost some of his international honors. And here's Macron saying, look, Depardieu makes France proud. And he railed against an era of suspicion against prominent cultural or artistic figures. One thing you'll never see me in is a manhunt, Macron told a French television station. He's an admirer of Depardieu. And He's not going to take away any of his awards. You can accuse somebody. Maybe they're victims, and I respect them, and I want them to be able to defend their rights. But there is also a presumption of innocence. Interesting, this sort of Me Too debate goes on, obviously, in countries around the world. Manhunts remain prohibited. Now, this is uh, the hunt for women, on the other hand, Remain open. This is a reaction from a feminist group. Not very happy with either Gerard or Emmanuel. All right. The big story everyone is talking about, you know, this was predictable. We saw it coming. And yet, I don't know, there's just something that grabs your attention about it. Story number one, Rudy Giuliani filing for bankruptcy. Well, of course he was going to file for bankruptcy he owes $148 million in damages after that defamation trial by Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss, the two former Georgia election workers, whose lives were ruined, who had death threats, who went into hiding. And even after the verdict, One of them says, mother and daughter, as you probably know, um, I would gladly give up all this money to have not had my life traumatized this way. And look, nobody ever thought they would get $148 million. In fact, I would question the judge, who I think just didn't like Rudy, because remember, the two women just asked for a third of that. And if they had been granted what they asked for, I don't think Giuliani, who's broke, could have paid, you know, $47 million either. But so I guess he liked the symbolic impact of the $148 million. But here's the interesting thing. Now that we've seen the public bankruptcy filing, it's not just that Rudy owes this, you know, monstrous sum, which virtually nobody could pay with the exception of some, you know, rich zillionaires, but he was broke or almost broke even before this. Rudy Giuliani owes creditors $152 million. Now, that includes about $700,000 in back federal taxes that he didn't pay, about $300,000 in unpaid state taxes, uh, more than a million to a law firm that has represented him in these various you know, criminal investigations, owns $387,000 to a firm that was helping him with the disbarment proceedings. So this has been a very, very tough time for a guy who had the moniker America's Mayor. And the thing is, he doesn't get off. He doesn't filing for chapter 11, which anybody has the right to do, you know means your creditors get paid, you know, maybe 10 cents on a dollar or whatever it turns out to be. But it doesn't excuse him from the 148 million in damages, because that is considered, I think the legal phrase is an intentional tort. So other people and companies. And governments that Giuliani owes money to may find they're not getting much because Ruby Freeman and Moss may their claim may take precedence. Oh, so already leading up to this, the IRS placed a lien on uh, Giuliani's home in Palm Beach. This is a place that. He and his ex-wife tried to sell for over $3 million back in 2019. Couldn't find a buyer at that price. He's also trying to sell his apartment on the Upper East Side of Manhattan for about $6 million. I don't know. If he can't sell them, you lower the price, just like you or I would do. Um, his lavish spending came out when he got divorced from his third wife, spending 233 $1,000 a month, six houses, 11 country club memberships. Now, what's that about? How many country clubs can you possibly go to? You, maybe you've got one in New York and one in Florida. Okay, 11. Well, I guess he had the money. And, you know, the two women have filed a second defamation suit against Giuliani. I've mentioned this. Not asking for any money. You know, they're still waiting for the $148 million. But just... Trying to get him to shut up because the thing that I cannot understand, and I've talked before about, you know, I've known Rudy Giuliani for decades. He was the associate attorney general in the Reagan administration. Uh, He was U.S. attorney. That's how he made his name as a crime fighter when I was a reporter based in New York. So I was often going down to his press conferences. Uh, You know, he did a lot of showy things like, you know, handcuffing. You know, Wall Street executives and having him do a perp walk. Uh, Then he ran for mayor, lost the first time to David Diggins, won the second time. I covered that first campaign. Uh, And then, you know, came 9-11. And he was a hero. He was America's mayor. And then he ran for president. But the work that he did for Donald Trump has really come back to whack him in the head. And... You know, I mean, the guy's and I have a little bit of sympathy for him, but not a lot. Really not a lot. He did this to himself. He spread election lies. And then the final point I wanted to make on this is, in the middle of this trial, and then at the end of this trial, even though his own lawyer said these women were wronged, uh, Rudy contributed, but he shouldn't be held that accountable because most of the false accusations that they were... Uh, tampering with ballots came from this other pundit or other people as well. And Rudy just goes off script and says everything I said was true. They were stealing votes. He'd already been found guilty on that. So I don't know what his state of mind is, but uh, Rudy Giuliani in bankruptcy unfortunately is the sort of sad bookend to his earlier career. Although, again, he's nobody to blame but himself. And he's got other lawsuits to contend with, including one from Hunter Biden. Wow. Moving right along in this area, peace out in the Detroit News today. Got a big link on Drudge. A leaked recording of a phone call in Michigan, Wayne County, in which Donald Trump, then President of the United States, this is, let's see, November 17th, so about two weeks after the 2020 election, this was taped, the President of the United States called two Republican members of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers. Their names are Monica Palmer and William Hartman, who has since passed away. The president urging them not to sign the certification of the election results in Michigan, which Joe Biden won by 154,000 votes. But the real eye-opener here is that another person who was involved in the call is Rhonda McDaniel, the RNC chairwoman. This is the first time that I know. You know, a lot of people like her, a lot of people don't like her, but she's a survivor. The first time I know that she's been tied or linked allegedly to any of this overturn the election stuff. So Donald Trump on this recorded call tells these two, you know, low level relatively low-level or mid-level officials in Wayne County. We've got to fight for our country. We can't let these people take our country away from us. And then Ronald McDaniel said, according to the Detroit News, if you can go home tonight, do not sign it. We will get you attorneys. And what happened is they didn't sign it, and these two guys— then tried to rescind the votes they had already cast in favor of certifying the election that that Biden had won the state of Michigan. Uh, All right. Stephen Chung, Trump campaign spokesman, telling the paper Trump's actions were, quote, taken in furtherance of his duty as president of the United States to faithfully take care of the laws and ensure election integrity, including investigating the rigged and stolen 2020 presidential election. Ronald McDaniel said in a statement, what I said publicly and repeatedly at the time, as referenced in my letter on November 21st, 2020, is that there was ample evidence that warranted an audit. Well, that seems to me a polite way of saying, don't sign the certification. That may have been the rationale. Now, how much should you care about this? Because obviously it's very similar to what happened in Georgia. Georgia. President Trump called the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and said famously, and this is also recorded, I just need you to find me 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. So, you know, maybe it's just an additional detail, but it kind of indicates that, well, what other states was Trump making calls to? And this was successful. I mean, it wasn't successful in that, obviously, Biden was certified, ultimately, as the winner of the Electoral College. And Biden won Michigan. But it just is another snapshot of how hard the 45th president was working By calling people, presidents don't usually call. Secretary of State in Georgia, yeah, maybe. But uh, the Wayne County Board of Canvassers, he was determined to try to get the certification rescinded in enough states, in enough key swing states, to at least put the final election on hold, final certification, which, of course, didn't happen until after the violence, late on the day or night, I should say, of January 6th. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Meanwhile, and you do, you know, at some point you need a law degree to follow all this. Jack Smith, the special counsel yesterday, this is not about the January 6th case scheduled to start in March in D.C. This is about the classified documents case. So Jack Smith filed something with Judge Aileen Cannon, Trump appointee, who was widely seen as favoring him, and giving him a bunch of favorable rulings. She's the one overseeing the documents case because it was mostly at Mar-a-Lago. And Trump was trying to slow that down, saying that even, you know, getting a, a jury questionnaire ready was premature. 40 felonies. Those are the charges against Trump just in this Florida case. But the uh, Jay Smith's, excuse me, uh, Jack Smith's office, Jay Brett was the prosecutor, wrote that Trump's filing was, quote, long on rhetoric and baseless accusations that do not merit a response. More to the point, defendant's breathless castigation of the government for suggesting the parties engage on jury questionnaires before resolution of pretrial motions ignores that the same was true in cases the government cited in its motion. It is economical and a good use of time to begin the process of drafting a questionnaire now. And by the way, Jack Smith wants to start that trial, the Florida trial, in May. Even though if, and this is a big if, even though the uh, D.C. January 6th-related, insurrection-related trial is scheduled to start in March, and I don't think it's going to take two months. I think it's going to take much longer than that. So you have this game being played. And meanwhile, you know, the media is still going crazy and lots of people still angry. And I don't blame them about Colorado kicking Trump off the ballot on the basis of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And as I'm speaking to you, the Supreme Court hasn't said it's going to take the case. I expect the court will, no matter what the court decides to do. But it hasn't happened yet. You know, some people are speculating about a kind of a compromise move by SCOTUS in which it would throw out Colorado's ban against Trump as a candidate, but would also rule against the former president on immunity, which he's trying to use as a way of saying he should, these other cases, the criminal cases, should be thrown out. So it would be one for each side. And the court would be seen as even-handed. I have no idea whether John Roberts and his eight colleagues are considering that, but there's starting to be a lot of pundit chatter about it. Number two, Ron DeSantis, in an interview with uh, David Brody, Christian Broadcast Network, was asked if he had any regrets about his campaign, which, as you probably know, everybody's already now writing DeSantis off and, you know, writing his obituary, let's do it now before, before anybody votes. Anything you'd regret? DeSantis says this. He actually said a version of this to me in one of our interviews, or perhaps it was when we were chatting um, off camera. But he said, if I could have one thing change, I wish Trump hadn't been indicted on any of this stuff. I mean, honestly. I think you know from Alvin Bragg on, I've criticized the cases. Um, And I think it distorted the primary. I also think... The governor has a point. So Brody follows up and say, why? Because uh, it, the, the indictments helped Trump and pushed his poll numbers up. And DeSantis said, yes, but, and this is where the, the, he had told me this, um, so much other stuff that it sucked out a lot of oxygen. In other words, there was so much media attention, and understandably so. On these indictments, I remember every single time it happened you'd have the helicopters following the Trump car to the airport. There he is getting on the plane. I mean, it was, you know, it was O.J. time. But DeSantis is right. It's, you know, it's true today with this Colorado thing, not of Trump's making, obviously. Trump and his legal issues and the things he says, obviously, the uproar over uh, poisoning of the blood continues, all of which we will talk about Sunday on Media Buzz. Eleven Eastern, by the way, um, totally overshadowed the fact that not just DeSantis, but Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and Christie and Mike Pence and the others who were running, the only way they could get any airtime was to talk about Trump. Meanwhile, some good press even got some praise on Fox and Friends for Democratic Senator John Fetterman, of course. The senator suffered a stroke on the day of the primaries, the day or the day before, Um, had a slow recovery, did not do well in the one debate that was held because he was having trouble with the after effects of a stroke. And then he took kind of a leave and went into the hospital saying he's being treated for depression and now seems to speak much more clearly But the important point is the guy that everybody thought was this uber-liberal is not. Or if he was, he's declared his independence from that. You know, Bernie Sanders had backed him and so forth. But when Fetterman spoke to the New York Times, this is a piece that ran yesterday, he said he's broken with the progressive movement. And his view is that the progressive movement broke with him. And he's trying to cast himself as you know, a common sense lawmaker. So he, this is the guy who you know, often walks around with the hoodie and the gym shorts. He said the left continues to demand, quote, purity tests. And then he just gave up on calling himself a, a progressive. It's just a place where I'm not. I don't feel like I've left the label. It's more that it's left me. I'm not critical of someone as a progressive. I believe different things. So what are the examples? And, you know, I think people have missed, people who don't live in Pennsylvania, haven't followed Fetterman's career. He's previously a lieutenant general, uh, excuse me, um, lieutenant governor. There we go. Uh, That he he had this blue-collar appeal, not just because of the hoodies, but because he did sort of portray himself as, you know, not an ideologue. So Federman was on CNN recently. He accused TikTok of warping young Americans' minds to be anti-Israel. He has come out as a staunch supporter of Israel. And that, of course, is at odds with the left wing of the Democratic Party, which blames Israel for everything, some of whom just feel Israel's gone too far in the war. We'll get to that. And some of which is just having to do with you know, the rising death toll in Gaza, beyond Israel, on immigration. You see these pictures from the border every day? I mean, they're shocking. The last three days, I believe it was, record numbers of migrants crossing over. You just see them lined up, thousands and thousands of them. And Fennerman says, I don't think it's unreasonable to have a secure border. I would never put dreamers in harm's way or support any kind of cruelty or mass expulsion of hundreds of thousands of people, but it's a reasonable conversation to talk about the border. And um, what about his health and his life? This is sort of the killer quote, literally. What I found out over the last couple of years is that the right, and now the left, are hoping that I die. They're ones rooting for another blood clot. Harsh, but that's how he sees it. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Number three. Israel, this is an investigation by the New York Times, routinely used one of its biggest and most destructive bombs in areas it designated safe for civilians. This is is hard to process. Because while we knew about these dumb bombs and so forth, Uh, the video investigation by the Times focusing on the use of 2,000-pound bombs in a part of southern Gaza where Israel had ordered civilians to move to safety, thereby supporting the Palestinian argument that there's no safe place in Gaza right now. While bombs of that size are used by several Western militaries, munitions experts say they are almost never dropped by U.S. forces in densely populated areas. So this is interesting. The Times used AI to scan satellite imagery of southern Gaza for bomb craters and looking for craters that are at least 40 feet across or larger that only could be left by a bomb of the 2,000-pound size. Found 208 craters in the satellite imagery and drone footage. So, Israeli military spokesman said... Israel's priority was destroying Hamas, and, quote, questions of this kind will be looked into at a later stage. Also said the IDF takes feasible precautions to mitigate civilian harm. Well, there's no denial there, and, you know, we'll just worry about it later. Is not very comforting. I mean, it's in effect confirmation of this time story. U.S. officials say Israel should do more to reduce civilian casualties. Now, the Pentagon has increased shipments to Israel of smaller bombs that it considers better suited to these heavily populated environments. But the U.S. has also sent more than 5,000 of a type of 2,000 pound bomb. So, America, to some degree, is complicit in this. And just, you know, too many civilians have died there. And D.B. just keeps ignoring the increasingly public and increasingly sharp pleas from Joe Biden to get to the next more targeted, less violent, less civilian killing ways of this war. Not a ceasefire, not giving up. That's not Biden's position. Also, the Biden administration is looking at seizing $300 billion in Russian bank assets that Western nations have to get some money to Ukraine, the other war that we are backing. um, The Treasury Secretary used to say that would not be possible or legal without action by Congress. But now the administration, fairly desperate on the Ukraine front, uh, is taking a look at it. Not clear whether this will happen. Story four. Congressman Tim Burchett, uh, he's a Republican from Tennessee, is a pretty entertaining guy to interview. I have learned. But this kind of takes the proverbial cake. So he's on a podcast with a right-wing podcaster named Benny Johnson. And they were talking about Jeffrey Epstein and why it's taken so long to get the list of names of people who flew on his plane. That'll be a big story when it pops. Um, so let me just get to the good part here. i spare you all the buildup. Oh, that there may be some members of Congress, this was in the question, were personally compromised by the Epstein info. Yeah, 100 percent, says Burchett. You're you've got powerful people and they write the big checks. Well, let's be honest. They write the big checks and they know they're the ones out on the tarmac when the president comes and visits And whichever party they're in. They're always either out on the tarmac or in the private room. They don't care who's in. They hate this country. They hate what we're doing. They hate what we're about, but they love their portfolios and they love their money more than a- they do anything else. Wait, I'm just warming up here. And they protect the people that do that. And by doing so, you know, the old honeypot, the Russians do that. I'm sure members of Congress have been caught up. Why in the world would a good conservative, good conservatives vote for crazy stuff like we've been seeing out of Congress? Here's how it works. You're visiting, you're out of the country, you're out of town, or you're in a motel, or you're at a bar in D.C., and whatever you're into, women, men, whatever, comes up, and they're very attractive, and they're laughing at your jokes, and you're buying them a drink. Next thing you know, you're in the motel room with them naked. Congressman. Uh, And then, you know, you're about to make a key vote. And what happens? Some well-dressed person comes out and whispers in your ear, Hey, man, hey, man, there's tapes out on you. Or... Were you in a motel room or whatever with whoever? And then you're like, oh, and they said, you really ought not to be voting for this thing. In other words, blackmailing them, pressuring them um, about their assignation or tryst. And what do they do? It's human nature. You know, no man, no woman, this is Congressman Burchett, is actually an island. You know, if it's women, drugs, booze, they'll find you. And that's what people of power and influence do. A rather candid series of responses from the congressman. I don't know if he's got any proof of this. He's speculating. He kind of knows. It's done with a wink and a nod. I don't know. But there you have it. And finally, story five. Um, I always liked Roseanne Barr, you know, when she was in the original show. And then that show went off the air, and then she had made a comeback with a new show, just called, what was it, The Connors. Um, and then she said some crazy things, and she got kicked off the show. So her ex-husband, Tom Arnold, they were married in the early 90s for a few years, tweeted... You know, basically, what is Roseanne doing with these new views? We hated David Duke, loved Edwin Edwards, former Democratic governor of Louisiana. We supported Bill Clinton, went to his inauguration, loved Hillary Clinton, had her in our home raising money for Democrats. Roseanne hated Donald Trump, says Tom Arnold. After we divorced, Trump told me I was lucky because she was disgusting. Life is strange, he says. So... She had been a Democratic Party activist and she got involved with the Green Party, even seeking the Green Party's nomination for president in 2012. I have no recollection of that whatsoever. And this was after Roseanne went out to Arizona at a turning point forum and said things like, if we don't stop these horrible communists, you hear me? I'm asking you to hear me. Stalinist communists with a huge helping of Nazi fascists thrown in. To replace every Christian democracy on Earth now. Hmm. It was basically a, a rant that was a little bit hard to follow. So, the story says that uh, she's made a full transformation into a MAGA influencer. That she's often on Fox Nation. where she did a comedy special. Um, look. This happens to celebrities because they get a big following. They come to believe that their political views are really important, and some people do it better than others. And I'm not talking about whether I agree or disagree. I could admire a very conservative movie star, television star, you name it, celeb, as much as a very liberal one, if they know what they're talking about, if they're not flip-flopping, if they're not saying anything that could be construed as anti-Semitic, as Kanye West did again a few days ago. But this is kind of sad. A lot of people still like Roseanne. She now likes Trump. But according to her ex, years ago, she hated Donald Trump. Of course, that was long before he was in politics. And it has to do with the New York social scene and so forth. All right. Well, since we are on the verge of Christmas Eve, I want to wish everybody Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. I... I'm going to take off Monday, Christmas Day, and Tuesday, the day after. A little bit of recharging. You'll probably be doing other things, but a few of you might miss me. But I'll be back next Wednesday. Probably will be a lot more news by then after everybody takes their Christmas break. And as I mentioned earlier, Sunday morning, 11 Eastern on Fox, Media Buzz. Um, Ted Cruz is one of my guests. Uh, We taped this. He gets into a... Very spirited debate with me about what he sees as a decline of journalism. And we'll talk about the Colorado ruling. We'll talk about um, the poisoning rhetoric. We'll talk about Joe Biden and how some of his people are mad at him because he's working too hard wearing himself out. We got a lot of stuff. Trust me. So either I'll see you then or I'll see you back here two days after Christmas with more BuzzMeeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News podcast and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.